Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. We're here to learn where people find the strength to get back up after they get knocked down. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Lassiter. She's a mother, a wife, sister, daughter. She plays many family roles <laughs> uh, and also co-founder of Lassiter Distilling Company, which is a rum distillery in Nightdale, North Carolina. That's how you pronounce it, right? Nightdale? Yep. Just like, yep. It's pretty Nightdale, North Carolina, just like it's spelled. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not, I'm notoriously not the best at pronunciation. So I'm like, this one seems like a gimme, but I'm not going to assume. Well, and I mean, and you're from the Midwest, you know, there, I think there are a lot of names in the Midwest that are deceptively hard to pronounce, like wa- like true. Wabash. You know, you that's see, a good point. It's, it's, it looks like a very simple word to pronounce, but everyone seems to pronounce it a little bit differently. <laughs> very true. Very true. So, um, you and I met, uh, gosh, probably about nine years ago uh, in Chicago. I think you had just gotten out of maybe an internship at the time. And you were kind of like, I don't know, we ran in the same circles. Uh, I remember at different events, yeah. we would be hanging out with with other folks we knew and kind of the technology scene here in Chicago. Was it, it was an internship you had just, st- or maybe you were just getting out of grad school and you were starting an internship? I, yeah, I don't exactly remember. It, it, it probably was when I was yeah wrapping up the internship um, with Edelman and maybe just starting a role with their relatively newly founded digital um, department. That's probably when, yeah. we, when we would have met. Yeah, I think so. So, so quite, quite a while ago. And um, I, I will say, you know, watching, watching you uh, over the years, uh, you know, admittedly through, through online social media and such, but um, obviously, you know, it, it, you with uh, having the two kids, um, your two children, but watching kind of what became this, uh, well, what became this rum distillery that you and your husband opened, um, I was just kind of taken aback. I'm like, uh, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, I don't, what, this is so random. Like, uh, who starts a rum distillery? Um, and then, you know, kind of researching your story now, and I want to talk about it today. But um, the the one thing I thought about was, you know, kind of when I decided to start this podcast a few weeks ago, I kind of was thinking about, I want to talk to people who like, they're resilient. They have the strength to get through life's challenges and again and again and again. And I I thought about you just kind of thinking back, like, you know, kind of watching your Facebook posts and and seeing what you were up to. And um, I thought about, well, A, like I said, you decide to start um, a rum distillery with your husband, which I think I can safely say you both didn't have much knowledge of prior to deciding to do that. Oh, no. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you decide, okay, we're going to start a business that we have very little experience in. And I'm sure, of course, today you have much more experience. Um, I believe you had your first child or were about to have your first child when you made this decision. Yeah, we, yeah, so we kind of been noodling on, I mean, ever since I met my husband, you know, almost 10 years ago now, he had wanted to do something for himself. He, he, he had that big entrepreneurial spark and, and I didn't necessarily always. Um, and it was, yeah, when we finally, when we had, we got pregnant with our first child, we decided, you know, okay, here we are at this crossroads. We were both working full time 
at corporate jobs. Um, mine was in the loop in Chicago and his was up in Lake Forest, which is a solid hour and a half commute from where we were living in Chicago. Um, and we just felt like we can't keep up this lifestyle we have once this baby arrives. So something is going to change. We're going to be making some kind of big dramatic change when this baby joins us. Um, and we kind of started weighing the options of I could quit my job and we could move up closer to his job in the suburbs. He could quit his job and we could maybe move a little bit further west or north to, to reduce our rent costs. And, um, and at some point we just looked at each other and said, you know, we've always wanted to move to North Carolina. Um, my husband's entire family, I mean, four generations, cousins, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody lives within 20 miles of where we are now. Um, so we always knew we'd probably end up in this part of the country eventually. So we kind of just looked at each other and said, if we're moving anyway, why don't we just go whole hog and move all the way to North Carolina? Um, and if we're going to do that, we might as well kind of finally kick off this business idea we've been kicking around in the back of our heads, which is the rum distillery. Um, so she definitely, our, our oldest, her name is Emily. She was definitely kind of the the kick in the pants that we needed. We felt like if we didn't do it before she was born or when she was real young, that we would, we just wouldn't do it. We'd start to feel too scared and too um, complacent that we wouldn't want to kind of take that, that risk because it, it was a risk. I just want to take a moment here for the Emily of the future, who's now listening to this to really realize the impact she had on you. Oh yes. She, uh, in many, many, many ways she has, just completely <laughs> changed our entire world. So let's just recap for a moment here because I'm so excited to talk about all this. But you are about, you and your husband about to have your very first child. What an amazing, exciting time. Um, <clears throat> you decide that this is probably the best time to move across the country yep. <laughs> and start a brand new business in an industry that we have little to no experience in. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. We are. This is amazing. Um, there's so much that goes with that. And this is exactly why I was so excited to talk to you about, you know, just the strength that comes with all this. But let me let me back up. You mentioned um, North Carolina has four generations of Gentry's family. Um, I'd love to learn more about just kind of your, your family. Um, you have two sisters. Is that right? I do. I have an older sister and a younger sister. So I'm right there in the middle. Ooh, right there in the middle. Are you really close to <laughs> both of them or is one of them a little closer than the other to you? Honestly, it, it I feel like we're all very close. We're all friends. And I think it just, at different times of our lives, we've been closer to each other in different ways. Um, when I was physically closer to my, my younger sister, she lives up in, in Madison, Wisconsin with her husband. Um, so when we were in Chicago, um, we saw them a lot a lot. Um, and my parents happened to live roughly halfway between Chicago and Madison. So we would often kind of, um, discuss and, and figure out dates that we could all just end up back at our, at my parents' house. And, um, so we spent a lot of time together uh, and our husbands are, are pretty good friends at this point too. So for a long time, I felt like I was a lot closer to her than, than my older sister who was living, um, kind of across the country at the, at that point. Um, and, but today, I mean, my older sister, Emily is, um, she and I are less than two years apart and she actually recently moved 
about 15 minutes away from where I live. <laughs> so she and her husband moved from across the country to North Carolina as well. Uh, so now we are very physically close and we spend a lot more time together. And so all of a sudden I'm feeling like she and I are more close to each other. Uh, so it's one of those things I feel like it just, there's never been a lot of rivalry, never been kind of animosity. It's just always, sometimes I feel like I talk to one of them more than the other and we might feel like closer friends, but I don't know. We're, we're kind of a, we're, we're, we're always in flux, I think, is a good, in a good way, if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, it surely does. I mean, I have two siblings myself. Uh, I'm the oldest, but I, I think always in flux is probably what you just said, the best way to describe sibling relationships. Yes. <laughs> you add, <laughs> You're like, yes, you, we'll just leave it there. You add kids to the mix and it gets different and you know they, they move and you move and just uh, with every life stage, I feel like it's been... I'm a little bit closer to one versus the other, you know? And um, yeah, cause my, like my older sister is so close to me in age when she left for college, you know, she and I did fight a lot when we were teenagers and we were both in high school and then she left for college and suddenly it was like all I could do to get enough time talking to her and all I could do to, to pick her brain about, Oh my gosh, how do I deal with all these college applications? And how did you make this decision of, of where to go and, and what to study? And, um, and then my first couple of years in college, I was calling her all the time because we were going through that, that kind of hard transition together, more or less, because we're only one grade apart. So we're two years, but about a grade apart. And um, so I felt really close to her at that point. And then she graduated from college, immediately went to grad school. I graduated, started a job, and my little sister started high, or college right after I graduated. And so then she was calling me all the time asking the kind of the same thing, like, oh my gosh, how did you pick your classes? And how did you know where to live? And how did you know? And, and so then she and I got to be really close. And so, yeah, it's just every time something changes for any one of us, it's, it, there's always kind of, I feel like a little bit of a change in, in how our relationships are. Sure. Which I, I imagine is only natural. H- how about your parents? Um, do you get along well with your parents? Like you were, are you a tight knit group? Yeah, we are for sure. I mean, my, uh, my parents, my mother, God love her. She last year she was coming down to spend a week to ten days at a time with uh, me and my husband and our kids, staying in our house. I mean, almost every single month. So she was here a lot last year. She gave up a lot of her own time because she knew we were going through a really hard time with the business and both the kids being so young and, you know, so on and so forth. And she recognized that physically having another adult in our household, you know, for chunks of time would be very beneficial. And so she did that for us. Um, and I don't know, I, it's just one of those things you can never repay your parents for all the stuff they've done. Right. And it was just, she's a, yeah, we're, we're, I think we're definitely close and definitely not in the same way as I am with my sisters, obviously, but, but we're definitely, I feel like we're getting there. Um, I feel like, again, me having kids changed that dynamic, especially with me and my mom, um, of what our relationship is and what it looks like, uh, and I think we're starting to kind of turn a corner and getting to a better place. I think the first couple of years we were just feeling each other out and she didn't want to be stepping on my toes and I didn't want to be hurting her feelings. And you know, it was just, so we were being very cagey with each other almost. And I think we're finally starting to come back around to a normal place of just 
being humans with each other. But uh, it took some time. <laughs> what an amazing gift for her to give you, uh, you know, last year coming down to spend that much time to help you out with the kids and stuff. I mean, that's, that's oh, an amazing yeah. gift. And to her grandchildren, her grand, her granddaughters adore her. And I, I love seeing their relationship bloom too, because I, I just think it's so important that the girls have a relationship with my parents, even though they do live, you know, 700 miles away. Oh yeah. It's, uh, having, you know, two kids myself, the, the grandparent grandchild relationship and just all of that kind of the weaving through the generations then is just, it's an amazing thing to watch that you never, at least I never anticipated. Oh, no, no, I didn't either. And we, I mean, we live about 15 minutes away from my husband's 100 year old grandmother. Um, and we spend a decent amount of time with her too. We try to get over there with the kids at least once a week if we can. And, um, so the girls and, and she even have a pretty good relationship at this point. And um, I just think that's so magical that, that she that said they're spending time with, with this woman that's been alive for a hundred years and has seen two other generations before them grow up. And, and now she gets to spend this time with them. Um, I just think it's so cool. I'm glad you brought up. I saw, I think that's so cool too. A magical, I think is, is the best word for it. I saw, I think it was on your Facebook page earlier this year, you posted a video and I think someone had asked Gentry's hundred year old grandmother for a piece of advice. If she would share a piece of advice from her life. And she said, the only thing that I really think you ought to know is to be kind, K-I-N-D, kind to everybody. <laughs> and you will always have kindness shown to you. Yep. Yep. I just, I was like melting when I watched that. I mean, she's this adorable, you know, woman with like a little Southern twang. And <laughs> I just thought, wow, hundred years. And that's your advice. I can't think of better advice. What? I, I'm assuming you 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 know the video I'm referring to. What, yes. What did that What did that mean to you? Is that is that her, his grandmother? Is that just her in a a nutshell? Yes. I you know, and I I feel like she. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to articulate these words. Yes. I mean, she is she is always kind to everyone. She she immediately just kind of wrapped me up in their family the second she you know um my husband his name is gentry we had only been dating maybe six months um and they do this big annual uh family trip to the beach where all four generations whoever is a is a it can make it comes to a single beach house on the coast of north carolina and they spend a week together and uh they invited me to come along. You know, we'd only been dating six months. We were fairly serious anyway, but we hadn't really been together that long. And um, that was a big deal. I was very nervous, obviously. I'm spending a, a week in a house with, you know, 40 people who I've never met and 40 people who are my boyfriend's uh, family. And one of the very first days, uh, I happened to be end up alone in, in the living room with his grandmother, you know, everybody else was kind of scattered at the beach or, or gone out somewhere. And, um, I was so nervous because she is, she's a, she's a powerful woman. She's, she is, she's this little old bitty woman. She's got that cute little Southern twang, but she is a force and you know it. 
um, it's hard to describe how she, how she makes, you know, that, but like she walks in the room or she sits with you and you just feel, uh, this strength of character that she has. And so I'm like terrified to sit here and talk to her, but she just, she immediately put me at ease. She sat me down and just said, you make my grandson happy. I want you to be part of my family. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? Like, <laughs> I oh, wow. almost cried. I almost cried. She's just, and, and then she just started, she said, I'd like to know more about you. Who are you? Tell me about kind of the things you've been asking me. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about where you grew up. Tell me about your sisters, you know, tell me. And it was just all, it was just an easy conversation. And she sat me next to her at dinner the rest of the trip which apparently it was a very big deal. Um, and I don't think I even recognized it at the time how important that was that she kind of adopted me um, and just wrapped me right up in the family. And it was just, it's been natural ever since. She's just, she's a very loving and very kind, but also very, very strong woman. You know, I wonder if, you know, what, as long as I've always known you, and especially you know, watching you out in North Carolina and your local new community there in Nightdale on Facebook, you are constantly supporting others. You're 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 asking people to support fellow local businesses. You're posting links to fundraisers, to Amber Alerts. You're constantly being kind to others. And I wonder if if his grandmother, you know, saw that in you, and you know what I mean. Like maybe she connected with you on that level of you are a kind person who's always been kind to everyone. And, you know, her one piece of advice is that I, I wonder if that's kind of part of why she adopted you. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, she does. Yeah. She, uh, so she, and she has three kids, two of whom are daughters and um, they all started saying day one, day two of that same beach trip. Oh, Rebecca knows how to do, which is their way of saying, yeah, she, she's one of our people. She knows how to, how to act properly. And, and that sounds bad, but not, <laughs> not that they're incredibly <laughs> rigid or, or anything. This isn't Downton Abbey, but yeah, you know, she knows how to do, she knows how to, how to, how to be kind to people. She knows how to, to act in this family and, and kind of just fit in with us. So I very much think I, and that's one of the reasons I think my husband and I fit so well together so fast and, and connected as quickly as we did is, is we just, we do. We, we fit together. And I think our families are, are, are fairly similar personality wise and, and the things that we value. And so I think, yeah, I just kind of flip fit right into that family dynamic. And so she just kind of scooped me right up. <laughs> I OK, so uh, October 2016 is when you open Lasseter Distillery. So if we go back uh, what a probably a year or two before that is when you've started to think about the idea and you decide to move out there. As I mentioned at the beginning, just, you know, I was like, let's recap. Okay. So you are about to have a child, your very first child, super exciting. And then you decide I'm going to move across country. There's family there, but we're going to open a new business. That is just a leap of faith is one way to put it. Also, just like you're, you know that you're about to embark on a journey that's going to have some ups and downs, probably a lot of ups. Um, sorry, when I say ups and downs, I was picturing climbing a mountain. So ups are actually the hard part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, my question is, when you decided to do that, both of you decided to do that as a, as a unit, um, where did you find the strength to actually, A, go ahead and do it, 
but then B, convince yourself that you're going to be able to maintain that strength when you do get to those ups and downs? I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, and I, I have to give props to, I still have my corporate day job and I have to give props to my employer because a big part of why we felt like it was financially, financially, financially feasible um, was that I was working uh, for this company at the time I was working for a a different team, but I'd approached my boss and and pretty much told him, you know, my husband wants to start a new business. I'm going to help him when I can. We are about to have this baby. We want to be close to family. Um, I want to move to North Carolina. Can I keep my job? Can I still work for your team if I'm sitting in North Carolina? Um, And luckily at the time, I mean, so my team leader was sitting in Southern California. I was in Chicago. We had a teammate in Minneapolis. We had a teammate in Alpharetta, which is uh, just outside Atlanta. So from his, so he said, oh, absolutely. He said, as long as you're able to attend the meetings, I need you to attend. Uh, I really do not care where you are working or when you are working. Just you, you do a great job. I trust you. Great. Go ahead. Go to North Carolina. So that really, without that foundation, I think it would have been a lot tougher. So I think, I feel like we felt like, okay, we have this, this strong foundation of, you know, one of us still is going to be able to pay the mortgage, right? Um just to, to, to at least use as a jumping off point. And, and number two, I think we just, between Gentry and I, you know, we, we had a lot of discussions leading up to this and, and we more or less just set some ground rules with each other and, and, and kind of set ourselves some goals and some breaking points of, you know, this is where we want to be in three years. This is where we want to be in one year. This is where we want to be in five years. But also we kind of sat down and said, okay, if we get a year into this and we haven't even met this other milestone, you know, let's set, let's set our breaking, our breaking points. You know, if we feel, if we feel like we are starting to put ourselves in debt to keep this business open personally, that's a breaking point. Let's just, let's, let's stop, you know, or if we feel like the business is starting to put too much strain on our marriage, that's a breaking point. Let's walk away. Um, so we very deliberately kind of set our boundaries as far as, as what are we willing to put up with personally as a family before we feel like this business isn't working and on the same front, you know, how, how, how much growth and and how quickly, you know, how much value do we want to see being driven in the business in order to feel like it's been worth all the effort we're putting in. So we, we tried to put in as clear of boundaries as we could. And I mean, we didn't know what we didn't know. So those, so a lot of those goalposts shifted after the first three to six months, but we just, we just kind of ha- wanted to have that foundation of like, we're not just going into this blind. We're trying to have a, a, a guideline as far as where do we need to be to keep going? If that makes sense. And we, and we every, we still do that now every three to six months, we sit down and have the conversation of, okay, are we ready to keep going? Yes or no. Uh, and some, some discussions are much easier than others. Um, but we, every, every three to six months, we sit down and make it a point to spend a solid half of a day. You know, we send the kids to, to, to the grandparents or my sister takes them and we take a, a solid chunk of time, just the two of us, sit down and map through and think through, okay, are we, are we, are we still committed to this business? So we, we try not to, 
to make it seem like we've signed our lives away and this is what we have to do for the rest of our lives. We try to keep a little bit of that control. It sounds like you're really honest with each other too, you know, both yes. with the business and yeah, just, <laughs> and I will say, I, I, um, looking at, you know, in, in my research for, for chatting with you today, I watched and listened to a lot of interviews with you and Gentry um, amongst the local media in, in North Carolina about your distillery. And, you know, you two just seem to be such great partners, two people who really know each other, support each other, love each other. Um, I, you know, I, I want to believe that's a large part of why this, you know, this works and, and how you were able to, to make the leap to start the business. Um, how did you create that? You know, um, it, maybe I'm off. Maybe you, maybe you all, you all, you don't support each other <laughs> the way it looks, but <laughs> I, uh, I believe you do. Um, how did you, you know, how, how did that come about? That uh, it was just always there. I mean, I know that's not a great answer, but really and truly, I feel like from the beginning, we just kind of, we bought into each other. I think we saw, we have a lot of things in common. I think we have a lot of the same drive and a lot of the same, you know, long, long-term goals, our long-term vision of what we want our family and our, our family life to be has always been very similar. And so I think we, we, we just decided very early on that the best way to get there was to be that team and to understand that, that if we support each other, we're going to be much stronger together than if we just selfishly kind of, you know, uh, try to pursue our, our own goals without, without care for, for what the other person is doing. And it's, I mean, it's not been an easy road either. You know, I know it's, it always looks much sunnier in, in those, those interviews and then, and, and whatnot than, than reality. There have been, lots of hard conversations and fights along the road where one of us says to the other, you are not supporting me in a way I feel is, is helpful or, or I don't feel like you're supporting me or I feel like you're doing something that's, that's actually hurting my goal or, you know, we, we have those conversations and it's just a lot of that trust that I think it all falls down to, to a trust that I can say something to you very honestly, that may not make you feel great, but you you aren't going to get mad. You're not going to get defensive. You're not going to walk away. You know, you're just going to, you're going to take it and listen and try to, and try to, to react in a way that that's positive, you know? And, and I think we both feel that we have that power to say to each other, you're wrong or you're hurting my feelings or you're doing something that is driving me crazy. And the other person will hear it and say, okay, that sucks. But I want to be better. So how, so how do we move forward together? Um, yeah, it's not perfect. And, <laughs> you know, and nothing is, but, but I think we, we, we both have that strength and that confidence in each other and the trust that, that we can have those, those hard conversations. So I think we both feel very comfortable moving forward together and taking these big risks together. I love that you, you said, you know, it's not perfect. And I fully believe that and, but I think that's almost such an important part of it is, you know, with your partner acknowledging that this isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, but we're in this together and we recognize that and we are going to make this work knowing that we're only human and we can't, you know, be perfect. I will say you mentioned, you know, in, in the interviews you do and stuff, it might look all rosy. One thing I want to, I want to um, say that I love from you and uh, congratulate you for is I feel like you do shed a light on being a mother, 
a wife, a small business owner, you do seem to shed the light on, hey, this isn't perfect every day. This is not always going well. Um, I'm reminded there was a post you made on Facebook. And do you mind if I read this? Because I love this. But if you yeah, don't want no, me to read your fine. own words back to you. <laughs> okay. I love this. It, the, the Facebook post said, uh, it's easy to just share the highlights, but that's just not real life. This is real life. While our business is starting to thrive, our family life is a bit chaotic. In the interest of realness, don't for one second think we've been able to launch a tiki bar and maintain a semblance of normalcy at our house. Here's a perfect example. Today, we took second day of school pictures because we had no idea where this board even was yesterday when we tried to get our little monsters out the door. No one was in the mood to stand for pictures anyway. The first day back after vacation and a long weekend is a tough one. Our house is a mess. Laundry hasn't been done. Everyone is clothed and fed. And that's about all we can manage the last few days. I don't do it all. I can't. It's a constant balance. Some days the girls take a bit of a backseat. Some days they're front and center. Rebecca, I read that. And, you know, I'm being a parent too, but I read that and I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because you so eloquently put there that, you know, it's not always roses and it's not always the highlights. No, it's, it's not. And it's, I, I, I hear this a lot. I see this a lot that, that, that one of the hardest things about society, like our, our lives today is that social media has had such an impact that people share the highlights and you see all these pictures of perfectly, you know, everybody's put together and everybody's smiling and, you know, and what you don't see is the 10 outtakes before it where somebody's screaming and someone's crying and, you know, that something's in the background. That, and I think we all can so easily forget and feel like, oh my gosh, I am a mess. Look at all of these other people who have their lives together. And I just don't think that's true. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there. There's some people who really do have all their lives together, <laughs> but we certainly Maybe. don't. Maybe. We certainly don't. I feel like... And that's another thing that I, I think we are constantly talking about at our house is, okay, listen to that, you know, birthdays and, and, and big celebrations. And those are obvious things, but for when we put our family first, but there are other times where we step back and we say, you know, Emily or, or Rose seems like she's really craving some mom and dad time. And so we say, okay, for the next week or two, we're going to make the conscious effort to spend more time as a family and maybe put some things at the business on the back burner. We'll let some things slip away and, and you know, things that are not critical, we don't need to get done. So we can maybe take stop working a little bit earlier um, and pick the kids up early and, and have a little extra time. So we try to be conscious of, of striking that right balance. And it's never, it's never the same. I feel like our day-to-day -day is, is so varied. I mean, yes, MLE goes to preschool. That happens every Monday to Friday. And, but I feel like most everything else is so in flux all the time because we try to balance. Yeah. When the Tiki bar was opening, it was all about the Tiki bar 24 seven. I mean, Gentry and I were working quite literally around the clock. Um, and we, we had his, his mom and dad, uh, their grandparents live very close and they took the kids for a few days and I think my parents had were in town anyway. And so they took the kids for a few days and my sister took the kids and like, we, we just had them shipped off to all kinds of different relatives <laughs> for about a week and a half while we 
heads down focused on getting that tiki bar up and going. Um, and then as soon as it was kind of running and we felt like we were in a good place, we took a few days off and did nothing, but just did whatever the kids wanted to do, you know? And so we, we try to strike that balance, but it's, we are never doing everything all at once. It's, it's always give and take. If one thing is being done perfectly, something else is being done very imperfectly or not at all. <laughs> you just can't do it all. And the tiki bar you're referring to is you just opened the tiki bar a couple months ago, right? So about three years after you initially opened the distillery. Yes. Yeah. And that some of the, the, the laws in North Carolina surrounding distilleries and spirits and uh, changed on September 1st of, of this year. So we were finally able to serve cocktails at our distillery. I'm glad you brought up North Carolina because in my research for learning about your distillery, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but it appears that North Carolina has a, a large number of laws in place that appear to make it really hard for a business like yours to succeed. Or at least that's the interpretation I got. North Carolina. So the so North Carolina is what's called a control state, which just means that all of the alcohol, all of the spirits, I should say, that are sold in the state of North Carolina are sold by the state of North Carolina, by an agency of the state of North Carolina, which is called the ABC, the Alcoholic Beverage Control, um, which is different than states like Illinois, where you have lots of individual liquor stores, whether it's a big, you know, a, a bigger uh, store like Binnie's, which has several locations, or, you know, your random convenience store on the corner that sells a hodgepodge of stuff, including spirits. It's just whoever applies for that, that liquor license, you know, they can, they can sell spirits. So in North Carolina, all we have are these state-run ABC stores where you can buy spirits. And I mean, honestly, a lot of it is just North Carolina has always been one of those states. I mean, after Prohibition, we were one of the very last states to kind of get in line and allowed the sale of spirits. Uh, we still have, I believe, two dry counties in the state of North Carolina. Uh, there, there's just it's it's just more. I'm not sure if it's because we're more conservative or it, you know we are in the Bible Belt. It's just there's there has always been a little bit more strict laws when it comes to alcohol, and you know if you look at the whole country craft brewing really started to explode what in the mid nineties and North Carolina followed suit a little bit later than everybody else as traditionally we do when it comes to alcohol. And then, you know, the first craft distilleries in the United States really didn't start uh, becoming a thing. I mean, until I feel like the early two thousands, maybe even the mid two thousands and North Carolina followed suit a little slowly as we do for everything. And I, I think we have finally, finally hit a tipping point in North Carolina. You know, the reason some of our, our laws changed this year and why we're pretty optimistic, we'll start to see some more laws change in the next coming, you know, in the next five to 10 years is just because there are enough of us now that it makes sense. When there were two distilleries in the state of North Carolina, the lawmakers just weren't giving it the time of day because there was two distilleries. You know, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, a similar thing happened with the craft brewers in North Carolina. There was a big piece of legislation 
oh, and I can't even remember when it was that that uh, that really helped the North Carolina craft bev- uh, craft brewing industry to kind of explode. Um, and we're just kind of waiting for something similar to happen for distilleries because there are enough of us now that that I think we're starting to to put enough of that pressure, and they're starting to see that this is a viable industry. This is an industry that will help. Um, the total economy, you know, because we're sourcing grain and, and we're employing people and we're, you know, we're, we're helping businesses kind of all around us. We're not just a very insular industry. So I think they're starting to see that. And so they're starting to, to make accommodations, recognizing that because nobody had been looking at these laws before, all of these laws were written in the early 1900s and they were perfect for the early 1900s. But now that we're in the 21st century and we have almost a hundred craft distilleries in North Carolina, the laws don't work anymore. Uh, and I think they're starting to realize that it's just a matter of getting around to, to changing them, if that makes sense. So it's, I don't know that it's <laughs> a whole ton of ill will as much as it's no one had ever asked them for these changes before now. Yeah, and I love the way you so uh, neutrally explain that all to me because you know what that makes perfect sense. You know, I'm coming from the point of view of like your, you know, your young couple starting a business that you hope one day will become like the family business, and it just seems like the environment, you know, is kind of stacked against you. Um, you know, I was uh, the, through the one interview I learned that and I think this is still accurate, but North Carolina law designates that you can only sell five bottles of your products per customer per year. So like if I were to come to your distillery, I can only buy five bottles during this calendar year. That So that actually changed as well. So on uh, with the same legislation that lets us serve cocktails at our distillery, we now are allowed to sell unlimited bottles. Uh, so that, yeah, that, that was oh, a- Oh, congratulations. A, yeah, thank you. No, we're- we were very this this piece of legislation that came through this year was was definitely big for us for the whole industry. Um, there are more things that we would like to see change, but this was it was huge for us for that from that perspective. And um, there were a couple other little bits and pieces, you know, before before this legislation passed. If you're okay, so the North Carolina ABC system, it's one of the challenges with it is it's not centralized. So if you look at states like Virginia, they have a centralized ABC system. So they have a bunch of different stores kind of scattered throughout the state, but it's run by a single kind of headquarters. The North Carolina ABC system, each individual board, they call them, each individual board is run independently and they roll up to the central ABC and a lot of these boards are at the county level, um, but some of them are not. Some counties have multiple ABC boards. And then under the boards are, you know, one to 20 different stores, I think, is the largest one. And um, so each of these, and, and so within the state of North Carolina, we have about 100 counties and we have 166 ABC boards. So... And they all run it and they all function independently, which means if I want my rum to be sold in every ABC store across the state, I have to sell it to 166 individual boards instead of selling it to a central location. I have to go out to 166 individual locations and convince them to carry my product. 
So that's it's it's a challenge, and we still haven't we still haven't um, completed that challenge, <laughs> and we're three years in, um, just because it it's it's hard. Uh, but and in the past, um, you know, an individual customer like you could walk into your local store and say. I want Lasseter's rum and they might say we don't have it. And you could say, well, I want to special order it. Before this legislation passed, you would have had to buy an entire case to get a special order. So most people weren't going to do that. And we understand that. Um, but now you can special order a single bottle, which is huge. You know, again, it's not perfect. We would so much rather we could just get all 166 boards to carry our product at once. Um, but it's also wonderful that if you walk into your ABC board, doesn't carry it, you can just say, I want a bottle of that and they will get it for you. Just a single bottle, you know, and that every little bit helps. So we, we were really excited about that. Um, but there are a bunch of little itty bitty things like that that on its face don't seem big, but could be mean big impact for, for our industry. Absolutely. So you and Gentry, your husband, you both have to keep up with this landscape of the laws in North Carolina and what seems to be, you know, progressive evolving legislation, which is great. Uh, you need to worry about selling, get, getting the product out there within the state. And I know you started to sell online out of state too. Um, so you're both a part of that. You specifically though, you're also working your full-time corporate job to help support the family you're coming home, you know, Gentry's working on the business as well, you know, your two children. Um, what keeps you going? That is so many plates in the air that I, you know, and we talked a little bit about how it's not all highlights, but I mean, just your average Tuesday night coming home, you know, what keeps you going to, to balance all those plates? I, I mean, honestly, at this point, it's, it's, it's that long-term, it's that long-term vision and we're getting closer and closer to it. The whole, the whole reason we started, you know, the rum distillery and, and, and why we wanted to have a business for ourselves is because we, we want to have more control of, of our, our work life and, and be able to have something that's ours and to kind of leave that legacy. And, um, you know, the long-term vision obviously would be for me to, to be able to walk away from my corporate job and, and, and be full-time at the distillery. Um, or be full time with the kids, or some kind of balance of both, you know. And 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 that's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year, but it's coming. I think that's what keeps us going is is that we're getting closer. That you know, every day, every month, we're making just a little bit of progress, and we're we're starting to see things change, and we're and we're starting to feel like some of you know the things that we thought were incredibly hard at the beginning are easy now and new challenges are constantly arising, but we feel like we have more confidence tackling them. And I think it's just that it feels like it's getting easier. It feels like we're getting closer. We're just, and when we look at, look at the metrics and we actually look at, at our progress, we, we, we're getting closer and closer all the time. So I think that's what keeps me going is still that, that vision of, you know, this is the family life that we want and we are on the right path to get there. We just, we just have to keep going. You mentioned earlier that last year, your mom came down very often to help you with the kids, help you and Gentry with the kids and that it was kind of a rough year. Um, and I, I saw that, you know, at one point 
you both kind of made a pact in the summer of last year that if you know if you weren't meeting those goals by year's end if the momentum wasn't continuing you know you probably would shut down the distillery you ended up deciding to keep it going um obviously we're here in 2019 but what what happened last year what what was kind of the what made it a hard year and i don't even know if i can put my finger on the one thing i think it was a lot of we had we had been working for a year and a half at it closing in on 2 years and we just weren't seeing the year over year growth that we had hoped for you know and we tried to set realistic goals we weren't expecting our business to double over year or anything insane we were we were trying to have reasonable um, reasonable goals. And I think we just kept feeling like every time we made progress, you know, two steps forward, one step back, or three steps forward, four steps back, you know, we, we, we kept feeling like we're not actually making forward progress. We're not really going anywhere. We're spinning wheels. And maybe one part of the business is starting to pick up, but then the other part is completely falling off the face of the earth. And um, we were, we were putting, still a significant amount of money from our, from our personal savings and our, you know, our personal money into the business to keep it going. Um, and I think that's really, we got to the summer and we just kind of looked at each other and, and he's like, you know, this is too hard, just emotionally, psychologically and financially. It was like, this is, this is getting to be too hard. You know, and if, if we are still years away today, you know, if we're still three to five years away today, when, when we hoped uh, we'd be further along, you know, I don't know that we can keep it up for another year or two years or three years to get to a point where we're actually a little more profitable. And um, I don't know, we just felt like we just felt like we were spinning wheels, quite honestly. And, and um, candidly, my my corporate role was starting to put a lot more pressure on me um, and had me traveling a lot. So I wasn't physically able to be here a lot of the time, which is partly why my mom would come, um, because I wasn't physically here a lot of the time last year, which was very hard for everybody. So I, I was, it was a lot of things all together. And I think at some point we just felt like we were reaching a breaking point. And if we, and we didn't feel like the toll that our family was taking was worth the progress we were seeing on the business side. It was one of those, we were reaching one of the breaking points that we talked about of, nope, this is getting too hard. So, um, but luckily the second half of the year, a lot of things kind of fell into place that we really didn't expect. We, we started a, we found a new distri distribution partner up in the Northeast, um, kind of out of the blue. And we started to see a lot more sales growth than we really anticipated. I, and I still don't know why I, my best guess is that we finally hit that point of brand awareness in the market that things just started to pick up because um, it was, it was just, it was just bizarre. All of a sudden one month we just started seeing pretty solid growth and it's maintained since then. Um, I don't know, a bunch of things just started falling into place and we still felt like at the end of the year, maybe we're not exactly where we had hoped to be when we started two years ago, but 
we are much closer and making much better progress than we were six months ago. Um, and from my side of things, I had found a new role within my company that wouldn't require any travel at all. <laughs> so I was feeling more comfortable that if I am physically present, I think that's going to make life easier. And we just felt like, you know what, it might still be another hard year, but I think we're, we're lining ourselves up to have a better year and to, and to, to have better resources and a better foundation to move forward. So we decided that, yep, we were, we were ready physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, we were, we were ready to buy in for another year. Um, so we decided to do it. It was, it was definitely a hard decision. We, we waffled a lot um, because it was a very hard year last year. <laughs> but uh, Sure. Sure. What, what kind of pressure do you feel kind of being the breadwinner in the family, so to speak, maintaining that corporate job to help support the family? What, what kind of pressure do you feel being in that role? Oh, yeah. No, I, de- I don't even know how to describe it. I, I definitely, it, it's not like a looming, it's not something I think about every day. It's more, it's more when it, when, when we have to make decisions. Um, I still have a team. I still have a role that allows me some flexibility. I, I work hundred percent out of our house and my current team still very much has that philosophy of, you know, I don't care where you are. I don't care when you are working, you know, come to meetings you need to come to get your stuff done. I don't care if you're working from 8 30 AM to 5 PM. I don't care if you're, you know, working overnight. I don't care if you're working early in the morning, like as long as you are getting your stuff done, it really does not matter. Uh, so that does give me the flexibility to help out here and there with, with distillery stuff as I need to. But I th- yeah, I think the pressure I feel is whenever we have to make these decisions where, you know, Gentry might call me and say, I have an opportunity to go meet with a new distributor or go meet with a new possible client, go meet with a new um, sales lead, but I wouldn't be able to go pick up Emma from preschool are you able to pick up Emma from preschool today? And I have to go look at my work calendar and think about my workload. And and a lot of times I have to say, no, I don't feel comfortable blowing off my day job to go pick up my, my daughter because you want to pursue an opportunity for a business. You know, I always feel like I have to put that corporate job first. I I have to, to put uh, a little more priority there. And I know that might sound silly and selfish and, and, or I don't know what, um, if you don't own a business, maybe you don't own, because I mean, duh, you should put your 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 job first to some extent, right? But it's, uh, I think that's when I feel that pressure more than anything is 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 I honestly just start to feel guilt that I have to say no to a lot of other things, but I feel like I have to say no more than I want to, um, because I know I can't lose that job because we need we still need that that financial uh, support from our family. Yeah, I, I don't think that's selfish at all because, I mean, if you are supporting your family with that job, then, you know, by putting that job, uh, making that job a priority, you are, in my opinion, making your family a priority. Yeah, that's true. That's a nice way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, though, because, I mean, you know, you obviously want your business to be your future, too. So I imagine that's a, that's a hard balancing act. Speaking of <clears throat> of the business in the future, I, I saw that you were recently... Um, submitted for two local awards, the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association 
Chef Showdown Award, and then you were a finalist in Our State Magazine's Made in North Carolina Award. Um, you didn't end up winning either one of them, which I it sounds like was kind of a little bit of a punch, a sucker punch to the gut. Yeah, I think it was. Um, and probably just because they happened literally the same week, like within two days of each oh, other. Oh, you found out like the same week? Yeah. I mean, we actually found out back-to-back days. So we, um, yeah, the, the North Carolina, the NCRLA chef showdown was, oops, I don't know why that peeped. Um, the NCRLA chef showdown was like on the last day of September. And then the very first day of October, or maybe it was the second, we found out about who won the Maiden NC Award. So it was like a one-two kind of back-to-back uh, sucker punch. Is kind of, um, I don't know. I, did that kind of like, you know, you talked earlier about like, you know, three steps forward, one step back. Did that push you a step back or were you okay with that? Um, I, I don't know. We would have liked to win, obviously. We would have loved to win both. Obviously. We would have loved to win either one. Um, I think it was more humbling than anything else because uh, I, th- I think we'd let ourselves, we'd let our expectations and our, and our, how do I say this? We'd let kind of our dreams take, take a little too much hold of the reality. If that makes sense. You know, it was more, we started, yes, it would have been a dream to win both of those things, but was that a reasonable expectation? Probably not. Um, so we felt let, let down. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think we it helped us kind of recalibrate. We're we're still a small player. We're still a small brand, and we still kind of need to to fight and keep pushing to to be someone that's that's kind of going to win those things all the time. So it's, I think it was more humbling than anything else, and more because 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 I mean. We have had a, a very good year otherwise. 2019 has been very, very kind to us and uh, with the legislation passing and, you know, with some of these new distribution partners coming online and um, our sales growth even within North Carolina has continued to grow pretty nicely. And, and I think all of it, maybe we let ourselves get a little too complacent and just kind of, okay we're on the right path and we're doing everything right. And, and we don't need to challenge ourselves and push ourselves anymore. And so that was, that was a good reminder that no, 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 <laughs> you're still a young business and you're still figuring it out and you're still not going to win them all. So. Listen to that though. I love how you, to you, this all meant that it was humbling that we have work to do, that we're going to learn from this, that we're still a small business. You know, maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves, such positive results it seems the way you're interpreting this, you know, I could see other people being like, you know, we should have won this. What the hell? Why didn't we win this? This is terrible. Whereas you're kind of turning it into, into positive. Well, and I mean, I mean, candidly, we definitely felt like what the hell the first, I mean, that day, the days, the days we found out were very nasty days. You know, we were not, we were not in a good headspace when we found out, you know, the, the day of the chef showdown of, I feel like I'm sure everybody says it's like, Oh man, we should have won our cocktail. It, Cause it was a cocktail competition. It was, you know, we'd partnered with a local bar and they, they made a cocktail and everybody else partnered with a local bar made cocktails. And so of course, um, and then the people who attended the event got to vote. And so of course we were like, ah, we, we should have won our, our cocktail was better than their cocktail. And, you know, of course we felt like that. I think every, everybody probably did. Um, but I, and, I, and same with the, the Maiden NC, you know, we, 
oh, that one I think we weren't as upset about. We knew that was more of a of a reach. Um, but I, I don't know. In the days after, I think we were like, yeah, you know, this was probably a good reminder that <laughs> that we're we're not we're not you know the end all be all, and 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 we do still need to keep fighting and keep pushing and. Um, yeah, and try not to take it too personally. <laughs> and I should be clear, you your distillery has won several awards over the years. It's not like these were the first two awards. Um, you Just to make it clear, you are an award-winning distillery. Yeah. Um, we have we currently make three, three rums, and we have four International Spirits Awards for those rums. Each one has one International Spirit Award, and, and one of them has two. Um, and those all come, those are all blind tasting competitions, which just means that uh, a, an expert panel of, of judges tastes the spirit without knowing what it is or where it comes from or pretty much anything about it. And they decide on who meddles and who doesn't. So we're, we're especially proud of those, of those medals for sure, um, because I think they give us a little bit of that legitimacy and it makes us feel like we are on the right path, you know, for two people, like you said, who, who didn't have experience distilling spirits three years ago, four years ago. Um, now we clearly, we, we, we make good products. Um, so that, that's certainly helpful. And I think, I think part of the reason, um, the NCRLA chef showdown and the maiden NC awards maybe hit us a little hard is, is we felt like those were like on our turf, you know, the, the, the spirits competitions we've, we've meddled in are, you know, they're, they're big competitions and, but, but these were in our community and we've been feeling like, you know, in 2019 that, that North Carolina specifically has, has finally kind of accepted us or finally kind of started recognizing that, that we make a good product and, and that we're worth supporting and, and, and so I think maybe that's partly why it hit us too a little harder than, than some other things is we felt like, all right, well, I guess North Carolina doesn't like that much. <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> we still have a little ways to go maybe to get, to get our own community behind us. <laughs> you know, and I, I know that's not necessarily fair, but I think that's partly what it felt like was that our own home state still maybe doesn't recognize what, what we have or what we offer. I think that makes total sense, actually. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a local business, which is fantastic. And you've won awards in a non-local environment. And now here's a chance for a local award and the local community to recognize you. And, you know, maybe you feel like they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You win some, you lose some. But that one definitely, yeah, that one definitely sung a little bit. <laughs> no, it's, I, I think it's perfectly understandable. It's speaking of a few few years ago, um, January 2017, just a, just a couple months after you opened the distillery, your father, who had no warning signs, no family history of heart disease, has a heart attack. Yes. When you find out about that, how does that affect you? Oh yeah, that was a that was a really really hard day. Um, it was a really hard few months. I was also pregnant at the time with our second. She was, I was like two months away from, from having her. And honestly, I think the first, the first thing that, that I worried about was that, you know, this new baby wasn't going to even get to meet her, her grandfather. Um, 
a lot of that, I think the biggest thing that that dredged up for me is kind of an ongoing guilt I feel for having moved so far away. You know, we made the deliberate choice. We both, we both love North Carolina. I mean, I, I came to school here. I came to college here in North Carolina from Wisconsin. So, um, we've always loved North Carolina and having the big family network was definitely something we wanted. Um, and my family is fairly scattered. You know, my parents are in southeastern Wisconsin and my younger sister is an hour west of them. And my older sister, you know, was across the country and now she lives close to me and our extended family, aunts, uncles, grandparents. I mean, they're everywhere. They're all over the place. And we don't have that same kind of close-knit extended family like my husband does. And um, so it all kind of made logical sense, but... I've always felt a guilt. You know, we used to live in Chicago. We were like an hour, hour and a half from my parents and we saw them all the time, you know, and and now we have to take two planes to get to them and they have to take two planes to get to us. And um, I've always felt some guilt about kind of abandoning them in that way. And so when, yeah, when he had the heart attack and I couldn't be there, you know, because I got the phone call in the middle of my work day and I was trying to get a flight and trying to figure out how to get up there and I couldn't physically be there. And my, and one of the things I was thinking about was like, Oh, if I was still in Chicago, I would be there. I would be there by his side in an hour and a half because I could, you know, and, and I can't because I'm just so far away. Um, yeah. So I think that dredged up a lot of that, a lot of that guilt that I wasn't physically there with them. Um, more than anything else. Cause we pretty, luckily we pretty quickly knew that he was going to be fine. They were able to put in a stent and, um, his recovery was, was, was really quick. He's, he, this is where I get it from is my father. No, we don't do anything halfway. We dive in <laughs> and we, we, we take on a challenge and just like, I am going to take your expectations and I'm going to blow them away. He has had, he, when, when he would go back for his checkups, he was always calling us afterwards and bragging about how his nurses said he was making the best progress they had ever seen of any of their heart attack patients, you know, and, and he was just, <laughs> he like graduated early from the recovery, you know, from whatever that program is. And he, he was just like, so proud of, so proud of that. So it's just, I don't know. It, for me, more than anything, I think it was, I was worried about him, but I was, I was more just like, I felt that guilt of, oh my God, I should be there. I can't believe I'm not there for this. This is, you know, I'm just like this horrible, this horrible daughter that I'm not physically there with him. Do you think that your perception and reaction to that what happened to your dad would have been different if you weren't a parent yourself at the time? Because being a parent myself, I mean, I, it's changed my perspective on everything. And I just feel like I would start to think about, you know, just the fact that I have children and, you know, what if something, you know, well, how would they respond and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, like I, said, I mean, my very first thought when I got the phone call was, he can't, he can't die because he hasn't even met my second baby. Like he can't, he needs to, like this baby needs to know her grandfather and my older daughter, you know, Emily, she needs to have, cause I, I've been very lucky. I, I lost my first grandparent when I was like 25. 
you know, I, I was very lucky to have all four of my grandparents for, for most of my life and so far and, and to build relationships with them. And, and I so desperately want that for my kids. And I was just like, oh, I was just so beside myself that I can't believe my kids aren't going to get to know my dad and have that same relationship. And, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it really wasn't so much about me as much as, oh my God, I would miss my dad. But it was more about they are going to miss out on this awesome relationship if if we lose him. I will say, um, learning about your dad's heart attack, there was a video that he he participated in about his uh, experience. I think it was for the hospital he went to, but they interviewed your your father and your mother, and your father was explaining how, you know, what kind of what happened and how he realized he was having a heart attack, and he said when they you know, when the ambulance came and I got in the ambulance, they asked me, where do I want to go? And he, he told them what hospital to go to. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, you just had a heart attack. Like, how are you even talking <laughs> to the paramedics about what hospital you want to go to? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the back, the backstory to that is my dad works kind of in a, in a healthcare field. So he, he, um, he works and, and, Oh, I should know this better than I do, but he, he markets and he helps with the brand development for like PET scanners and, and CT scanners and, and, and those types of devices, uh, for GE healthcare. So he, um, he has a lot of relationships with hospitals and hospital systems across the country. So it does not surprise me that he knew that if he was having a heart attack, that the place he should go <laughs> is this specific <laughs> hospital. It, and they happen to live in a part of, of the county where there are kind of two or three hospitals that are all about the same distance away. So there, it, it, it was a legitimate choice of, you know, you have a couple options. Do you, do you care where you end up? And he knew enough, luckily, about his, the local healthcare system to say, I need to go to Summit. So he, he knew. But I don't know that I would have known, but he knows. <laughs> and thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he seems like he would just be such a, you know, I mean, thank goodness he's he's still here with us and, you know, everything was fine for that. Because, I mean, he just seems like he would be an amazing grandfather and that your kids will just have so much fun with him over time. Oh, yes. He's going to be, you know, selfishly, I think one of the things I love the most about about seeing my parents as grandparents is I'm I'm getting a little bit of a window into the past of and and I'm sure it's not entirely true, but like imagining like this is what you were like with me, wasn't it? Like this is like just getting to see because I don't remember when I was two years old or three years old. You know, I don't have a lot of solid memories from that time of my life, and so getting to see them with my newborn kids and my one-year-old kids and, you know, the, is kind of that little window into the past of like, this is how you were with me. And I don't know. I, I just think it's so sweet. And it's just, it's magical. It really is. And yeah, he's fantastic. He's so goofy. He can, he can be so serious, but he is so goofy and he is, he's not, He's not too like prim and proper and, and proud to get down on the floor and play with them. And he he will play princess with them, you know, and, and he he's pretty he's just really easygoing and he's he's fun and he he's he's more creative than he'd probably give himself credit for. But he would he's always finding just creative ways to get into trouble with them, really and truly. And he just 
he gets so much joy from them. I think as much as they get from him, he just thinks they're hilarious, you know, and they are, but <laughs> it just, yeah, he is, he's definitely a wonderful, a wonderful grandfather. That's great. And it sounds like you get a lot of joy too, from watching that relationship with him and your kids. Oh yeah, for sure. My early, you know, uh, how do I say this? Like during my formative years, you know, we moved to Wisconsin when I was like nine and we moved to Wisconsin so he could work for GE healthcare and he's been there ever since. And, um, that job has always required a good amount of travel for him. So he, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to make him sound like he was an absent father because he wasn't, he was there when he was home, he was home, you know, and he, he was always all up in our business. You know, he, he was a great dad. He really, <laughs> and he is a great dad. He's still a great dad. Um, but he, he was traveling a lot and there was a lot of time, you know, Monday to Thursday, Monday to Friday, when if I had a soccer game or, you know, there was an event going on at school he probably wasn't going to be there. My mom would be there, but he probably wouldn't make it because he was traveling somewhere and that's just what it was. And so I think part of it for me with, with seeing him with my kids is, is almost reclaiming a little bit of that childhood that I feel like he and I didn't get to have, you know, and, and I don't knock him for it. He, he was, he was a great dad. He was still a great dad. And so, but sometimes it's nice to, to see those little, those little special moments they have, because it's almost like kind of getting a piece of, of that back with him. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I wonder too how much, you know, you said you moved to Wisconsin for him to get that job. And then, you know, he was the nature of the role was traveling a lot. I wonder how much of that, similar to how you have your job now, supporting the family. And, you know, you have all your best intentions in mind, even if you're going to be missing a thing here and there with your children. I wonder if it was very much the same with him, you know, where it was just what he was doing to, to help the family. Oh yeah. I mean, I know it was, he, uh, my, my parents had very, very big goals financially for us. They, you know, they made very dis- specific choices um, so that we could all go to college debt free. That was a big goal for them. And they achieved it, uh, which has made a monumental difference. I know, at least for me, um, and I'm sure my sisters would say the same thing. But, you know, they made different choices. Would he have taken a different job that maybe didn't pay as much so he could stay home with all of us? Probably. But then would we have been able to go to college debt-free? Probably not. You know, so they they made very specific choices. You know, and I don't think I realized that or, or recognized that um, until I yeah, did have my own kids that, oh, my gosh, all the things that, that they did so that we could have this future that, that we have now. Um and I know he felt a lot of those things because, you know, I'll tell you late, late last year, you know, I don't know, September, or October, I had taken yet another trip for my job, my role at that time. And, and I just reached kind of a personal breaking point where I was just like, I, I mean, I started crying my eyes out in the airport in the middle of Connecticut because I couldn't believe, you know, my flight had been delayed and I was going to, I was hoping I was going to make it home to see the kids before bed. And my flight got delayed enough that it wasn't going to happen. And I was just, you know, beside myself that I was going to miss one more day, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal, but in my mind at the moment, it was, Oh, I can't believe I'm missing tonight with the kids. And he was my first phone call. And I just, you know, dad, how did you do this? 
does this get easier? You know, do, do, at some point, is it just easier to miss these things, to miss the bedtimes and to miss the games and to miss, does it get easier? And he said, no, <laughs> he said, you know, you have to know that for your career and for your long-term goals and for what you want, he said, you have to focus on that. He said, because no, it, it doesn't hurt less. You know, the older they get, the, the more things they have going on, you know, it, it doesn't hurt less to miss stuff. I'm just soaking that in. <laughs> and I'm just trying not to like burst into tears now because it's, it's emotional to think about. And, you know, and, and, but that helped me kind of, that, that helped, I think, kind of inform, you know, as, as I, I mean, every, it's amazing how things work sometimes. Cause I, I literally had that conversation and, and, and I got myself on the phone with, with my supervisor at the time probably the very, I think it was the very next day or the day after and just said, I have reached a breaking point and this isn't what I want, you know, for my long-term goals, for what I want, you know, I don't want this travel. I am not willing to make this sacrifice, you know, and, and I understand for, for what my parents wanted and what, and what they wanted to achieve. It made sense for them. But I just, you know, I was like, you know what? Nope. Now that I've talked to my dad and, and heard his perspective and no, this is, this is not what I want can you help me find a different role that might help, you know, get me to a place that makes more sense for my family? And, and you know, I can't give enough credit to, to my company and, and the people, the teams that we have, because my boss was like, we don't want to lose you on this team, but we really don't want to lose you at the company. And we, we really don't want you to be, you know, fracturing your family life. To, to have this. So if this is, if you need to move to a different role, we're going to find you one. And I'm telling you, I mean, within three weeks that we had one, it was, it was incredible. Um, so, but that, yeah, no, that my dad definitely, I think felt some of the pressures I feel. And whenever I'm starting to feel that, that pinch or just kind of any kind of overwhelm from, from, you know, that, that burden, he's the first person I call. Because <laughs> I I know he under, even if he hasn't been exactly where I am he knows he understands. It's it's so great to have that 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 person you can call. Oh yes, <laughs> it's validating to feel like because uh, I think a lot of times for me it's been I'm not it's not that I am weak, you know, or it's not that I am not trying hard enough, or it's not that. I am doing something wrong. It's that this is really hard. <laughs> you know, that I've put myself in a position that's just hard sometimes. And it's nice to have, I think just having that second person say, yeah, no, I did that too. And it sucked. It was hard. It was hard for me. It wasn't easy for me, you know, helps me feel like, you know, cause I know I'm, I do stupid things. I know I make the wrong decisions sometimes, but it's, it's nice to know that, no, this is some things are just hard. <laughs> And you just have to find a way to get through them. I just wrote down in my notes, I'm not weak. This is really hard. And I just circled it. I, <laughs> you just, that's everything, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time today to chat. Um, this conversation has been amazing for me. Um, I only half jokingly, you know, say that I, I'm doing this podcast just so I can learn myself from folks like you. And I have a page full of notes here. Of, of lessons that I'm going to take away. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, of course. No, thank you for 
thank you for thinking of me. I think it's easy to, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Cause it's like, it's my day to day. So it just feels so normal, but it's also nice, but it is, it is hard a lot of the time. And it's kind of nice to have some of, some of that recognition that like, man, what you're doing is not easy. And, <laughs> but you're making it through. Cause sometimes it's easy to just, I don't know, get stuck on the hamster wheel. <laughs> Absolutely. And you are, you know, I, I know it is hard, but you are making it through. I mean, just us talking here for this time, I can already see, you know, over, over your story, the progress you've made with your business, you know, I'm sure with your family and everything. And no, I, I think you are, you're making it through for sure. Um, and most importantly, you know, I'm glad that you're someone who's sharing that with others because it's so important to just be able to point at someone and say, oh, look, they're going through what I'm going through. I can relate, I can learn from them. Um, and so, you know, you are in a unique position, you have a family, you are starting a business, you're holding down a day job. Um, you could easily just not share any bit of that and no one else would be able to learn. And, you know, you, the rising tide lifts all boats. You, you don't necessarily have to lift the rest of us, but you choose to. Um, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure many others do too. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like so many others have helped me to this point, have lifted me, you know, and so I feel like that's it's what you do. You pay it forward. You you help those who are coming behind you and help those coming alongside you because that, I mean, truly, I, there are too many different people and too many different instances to mention or to, to even make a list of, but there are countless times I feel like throughout my career and my life and this business and everything that somebody has done that, has extended that hand to say, I've been there. Let me help you. You know, and, and it's, it's just, it's just, it's absolutely priceless. Thanks for listening to this episode of We're Only Human. Please go ahead and give us a review or rate us with some stars and maybe tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks.